if India don't want to pick him in white ball cricket, R. Ashwin, if you ever see this, you're more than welcome to apply for an Australian citizenship. And we'll take you on board. We'd love to have you, mate. Hello and welcome to the Crick Blog Podcast, Episode 2. We have a cracking episode ahead of us with two great guests where we listen to their cricketing stories and also discuss the recent international cricket. Also today, Shabil and I will tell you our stories of how we fell in love with the sport and definitely discuss some cricketing matches that happened over the week and also at the end, hashtag AskCrickBlog. All right, let's get on with it. How are you, Shabil? I'm good, mate. How are you? Yeah, doing good, doing great actually. After last uh, yesterday's are. match, so you're, you're always good these days, aren't you? You're rubbing it in. Yeah, I am. I am, to be honest. Uh, it's been a great uh, last five months or so. So yeah, absolutely. Ever since Adelaide. I don't know. It's if anyone told you that this would be India's journey since that debacle, you'd be pretty happy. And you know, it was all doom oh, and gloom then, but it's been definitely. quite the quite the turnaround from you guys. Yeah, definitely. All, all thanks to some great cricket um, from, from, the, from the guys. Uh, yeah, mm. uh, it's, been, it's been an amazing uh, five months, as I said. And uh, yeah, I mean, after Adelaide, no one really thought we would be here. No, absolutely and, not. Um, mm. And re- yeah, also looking forward to the next series happening in England. So yeah, but first we have some um, great uh, cricket to discuss in this episode. So let's get on with it. Absolutely looking forward to it. So, yeah, so what we'll do first before we, we touch on the India-England ODI series and then chat to a great guest uh, regarding England's performance in the opening two ODIs, we'll have a quick discussion, um, a quick chat about how we fell in love with the game because that's how that's what, what we'll speak to our guests about on the QuickBlog podcast is their story um, and how they fell in love with the game. So, Nash, I wanted to ask you how you fell in love with cricket and, and what your story is. All right. So uh, my journey with cricket started when I was um, six, I think, or seven. Yep. Um, my, my, pretty much my entire family has been, has been a fan of cricket ever since. So my two uncles have been involved in cricket at all levels. They have played cricket, uh, you know, um, administration. Or, so that, that's where my journey started. And my parents pushed me to play cricket you know, at all levels. So they never stopped me. And it's been, it's, it's been cricket ever since. So I've been, I've been playing cricket. I've been writing cricket. I've been reading cricket. And um, now I'm lucky to be working in cricket. So um, in, in my, in my capacity in Australia, it's, it's, it's been a fabulous journey working in cricket as well. I mean, you think that just playing cricket, um, would be a daunting task, but once you start working in cricket, it's 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 a different um, you know it, it's a different gravy altogether. So it's like facing a bouncer um, every every day, isn't it? Or? Yeah, yeah, pretty much, pretty much. So yeah, I mean, you get to meet a lot of characters and you get to meet a lot of people around around the cricket community, and um, definitely you keep learning every day. So um, as I said, my my love with cricket has has started when I was six, and um, six or seven, uh, I would say, and played for school, played for my school, played for my university, played for my college. Um, and it, it, it's in a way cricket uh, is, is the reason why I'm here today as well. And mm. it has given me so much 
um, in terms of happiness, in terms of um, learnings, in terms of uh, discipline, in terms of manners and, you know, how to be mm. social, how to be, how to, how to behave in a team environment. And um, yeah, that, that I, I'm thankful for the sport, to, you know, it has brought me where I am. So yeah, I'm really happy. Can't complain. What about right. you? How, how, how did your love story start with the sport? It's a brilliant Brilliant story. It's going to be hard to follow that one. Um, mine started at a similar age to you, to be honest, like six, seven, but it was actually for me, my first love was, was, was footy here in Australia, rugby league and soccer as well. I really loved those sports young age. And I always found cricket to be weird when I was seven or eight years old. I'm like, how can someone be winning 200 points to three or something like, or something like that. But my dad was very keen on cricket. Um, he loved the West Indies team of the 80s. He still talks about them to this day. I was introduced to cricket in the early 2000s and fell in love with the Australian, the brilliant Australian team. It was a wonderful team to be introduced to. So in the early 2000s, as a result, I gave cricket a try. My uncle encouraged me to, to play um, and straight away fell in love and haven't looked back ever since. Played for over a decade, eventually had to stop playing and then started uh, my own website, started the blog and just follow cricket religiously. Absolutely love it. So, um, you know, cricket's a big part of our family as well. Our backyard cricket games have been incredible over the years at grandma's place. So those memories will, will hold true forever. And, and I think cricket will offer us with a lot more memories. It's sort of you find yourself in cricket, I feel. Um, sort of I, a big part of my identity is through the sport. And I, I'm sure you feel the same and many of our listeners feel the same as well. It's, it's the sort of game where... It can be cruel sometimes when you play, <laughs> but yeah, um, definitely. But when you watch it and, you, and you, you fall in love with it, it's you can't let it go. And there, yeah, that's my story. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, as you said, you're you're a hundred percent right. It's 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 cruel when you play sometimes, and it's it's sort of like a graph that goes up and down, and mm. uh, it gives you so much uh, teachings along the way. So it, it's it's really important to. Um, put the put the game in a in a broader concept context and what what it means to you as, as, not only as a sport but as a as a way of life yeah and um and 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 not only look at it from a point of view of oh it's just a just a sport but it, it you know what it brings to your life and it's an obsession man like what it's brought yeah, to my it, life it is. is i can't walk in a hallway without shadow batting or without pretending oh, it's definitely. a pitch and then shadow bowling or, you know, practicing some offies, you know, with an imaginary <laughs> ball or whatever. So I know my wife. If, if I, if I had a, if I had a penny for every time I have taken a run up on, on a, on a yes. lonely alley, alley in a, in, in, you know, in the streets of Mumbai. My I'll, wife, my wife uh, asked me, are you bowling again? I said, yeah, but you know, so that's like, yeah, it's, that's it's, the, it's that's the kind of how we roll. Well. That's right. Definitely. All right. Now, uh, and uh, uh, again, I'm, I'm just um, lucky to be doing this with you, just talking about cricket again. So Absolutely, as I said, man. I've read cricket. I've, I've written about cricket, read cricket, played cricket, wo- working in cricket. Now I'm talking about cricket. So what better? You know, that's the dream scenario, isn't it? Absolutely. Like the internet, like we've seen its disadvantages, right? But what it, what it, does, what it does do, it gives opportunities to people like you and me to have their say on cricket, it gives people an avenue to express their opinion. And that's the good thing about it. And, excited to be doing this really am looking forward to it definitely so let's get cracking let's do it india england um a crazy yes. extension of what was a 20 over game yesterday that was named an odi it was 
non-stop action in that game. Um, I mean, what were your emotions going through it? It would have been a roller coaster, I imagine. Well, I mean, at 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 the end of it, the Indian innings, firstly, I'll, I'll start from the I'll start when. Well, I thought um, there were I thought there were short three twenty nine. From yeah, definitely, yeah. definitely, because yeah, co- coming back to the, when Rohit and Shikhadawan were were playing, mm. I mean, they it 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 looked like India would easily re- reach three seventy five and even trying for that four hundred figure, um, and when uh, a few wickets fell, and then I mean, at the end of the innings, I um, I was really disappointed. You know, India got three twenty nine. I mean, that's that's that that that's not that's not a score where y- you can safely say, okay, India will win against England. I mean, it's that's, not it's that, not two thousand and five yeah. anymore, or it's not. No, it's not. It's like that's that's incredible how ODI cricket has progressed, hasn't it? With three twenty nine, it's like, oh, you're you're short. Yeah. Yes, definitely. I mean, and and at one point, one of our guests today tweeted that India, uh, I think, twenty five runs short, and I tried to correct, not correct him, but I tried to say that are oh, definitely. I think they are sixty to seventy five short, and uh, you know, after that. Uh, but again, credit to the bowlers, credit to the Indian bowlers. I mean, the way Bhuvneshwar Kumar started, I, and just just a quick note to our listeners that from now on, my Twitter account is going to be a Bhuvi Stan account. So. Um, <laughs> Uh, I mean the way the way he has come back, it, yeah. it 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 did not feel like he was away from the game. I mean, to be fair, in in a in a, in a series where everyone has gone over five and a half um, at an economy of five and a half, mm-hmm. Bhuvneshwar's economy is four point six five. I mean that is phenomenal yeah. for a, for a for a bowler who bowls at one thirty one thirty five who doesn't have the express. Um, Pace that someone like a Markwood or Bumra or Shami has, you know, bowling at an economy of 4.65 against the batsmen that we saw against Bairstow, mm. against Stokes, against Jason Jason Roy, against Butler, it's it's been magnificent. And I hope, it gives India I another hope, dimension, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely. It really and does. I, I just I just hope he goes to England for the for those five tests and he plays the World T Twenty later on in in the year. And I mean, just imagine him bowling with Bumrah at the other end. It's 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 a you know it's a pair made in heaven. So um, yeah. you, you want that you want to see that from from the Indian team. And um, the way they came back yesterday again was pretty was pretty phenomenal. And and the way Sam Curran batted, nothing you know. Not taking I was going to touch on from him. Yeah, it's like India came back brilliantly, but then they nearly gave it away at the end, right? With with Sam Curran, um, sort of giving him a few chances. But what it means he, from him, you know, you look at him, he looks like the sweetest twenty-two-year-old you've ever seen. He's got a that baby face, doesn't look a day over fifteen years of age, but gee, you can hit a ball, and he was outstanding yesterday. Oh, definitely. Um, I mean, India do have some sour memories of him yes. from the 2018 test, test series. Yes, he knows how to do it against you guys. Yeah, and he was outstanding yesterday. And I think that's the strength of England as well, right? They, they're never down and out because they bat so deep. Um, so Yeah, that's true. That was an excellent comeback from them. But England, again, will be disappointed with a few of their dismissals, I felt. There were, a few of them were quite soft, a bit loose or a bit, a bit, um, yeah. a bit soft. And I think that's probably where... Someone like a Joe Root fits very, very well in this England side. He'll just be the glue that, oh, that holds it all together. Hundred percent, right? yeah. But it was yeah, a cracking series. I mean, it's exactly what we were expecting. 
Yeah, and people people were asking why Jorud isn't playing. I mean, he 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 was he was just not playing because he was rested and he went back to England. He wasn't going to come back for three ODIs. Yeah, um, you know, go through go through the uh, quarantine, go through the bio bubble again. He wasn't going to come back for that. And it's a long it's a long year for England as well. So he needs to be fit for that as well. So agree. Yeah. Um, and and that's the only that's the only reason he wasn't playing. There's no issues with him. There's he's he's a perfect batsman for them in that, yeah, in that scenario where no, just you know, and he can yeah where, where, what they're missing when he's not there. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely, definitely, and and you know credit to Livingston and Milan as well, who mm. probably may not even play another ODI for a long time for England. So. Yeah, because when Morgan and Joe would come back to the side, I mean, those are the two guys you would mm. drop, isn't it? So, yeah, and as you said, they they did fumble um, at the start as well, and um, there were there were a few soft dismissals. So, especially the one where at the end, I think it was Adil Rashid who just uh, lopped one to Virat Kohli and uh, Virat Kohli took a spectacular Great catch. Great catch, so, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and that, if, if Adil Rashid would have, he's a good bat, he's a good bat, don't get me wrong. If he would have mm. stayed with Sam Curran at the other end, it, it would have been a different game, I think. Absolutely. Yeah, cracking contest. And I think, again, England, they lost like they did to Australia last year in ODIs, but you can't doubt their prowess when it comes to ODI cricket. So, yeah, that's our discussion, a quick discussion on the England ODI series. We also spoke with um, a very passionate England fan. Um, Adam Sutherland is his name. You can follow him on Sutherland underscore on Twitter. Um, we spoke to him after the second ODI to get his thoughts on the ODI series, uh, how good India and England are, and as well, he gave his prediction on who would win the third ODI. So our next guest on the QuickBog podcast is not only a passionate England fan, but he's also a very knowledgeable one. And as an Aussie fan, I'm here to tell you that is a rare combination. Uh, he also made uh, a very, very brilliant prediction of India's 336 before the second ODI on Twitter. So we'll, we'll call that out. Um, and also he understands sporting pain because like me, he's an Arsenal fan. Adam Sutherland, welcome to the Quick Blog Podcast. Hi guys, thanks for having me on. Welcome, welcome, Adam. Um, yeah, it, it's been an interesting match, isn't it? Yeah, very interesting. I'd be lying if I wasn't a bit nervous at the halfway stage with um, with England's death bowling there again. It's kind of like the second, um, well, they're like the first match, England got themselves into quite a good position in the middle and then the inexperienced bowlers, it got away from them a bit at the end. Yeah. Um, so listen, Adam, before we begin to dive into the England and India ODI series and the T20 that happened. What we like to know here on our podcast from our guest is our guest's connection with the sport, how it began, when it began, and what what made you fall in love with the sport we all love. Well, I really got into cricket in the UK summer of 2004. At that time, England were building quite a good team together. You had the likes of uh, Flintoff coming through, Harmison, Hoggar, Andrew Strauss. Um, and I think we had the West Indies and New Zealand over that summer. And the TV wasn't all the time in my house um, watching all of those games. And then it was the 2005 summer, the, the Ashes then, which really solidified my love for the game. Um, it's just a great series. You had the likes of KP, Flintoff, Warren. 
and he became my heroes that summer. And I was trying to replicate what they did in the back garden uh, all that summer. So yeah, ever since then, I've been a passionate England fan and a yeah cricket mad. It's a pretty good time to get into cricket with the next summer. How good it was for you guys. So yeah, no, really good. Um, now, in terms of the ODI series, like I know there was quite a bit of talk after the first match that England's batting is probably too much of a risk-reward strategy. There's not a lot of balance in the side, but then you see the reward side of things in the second match. Um, Does that show just how important Joe Root is to this side, or has Ben Stokes, do you think, got the potential to really be that number three going forward? I think with the approach um, that England have and Stokes at number three, it's the sort of thing that, when it fails, it's going to look pretty gruesome. And I think after yeah. England got to a 135 or whatever it was for no wicket in the first ODI, and then to lose that game, be bowled out for 250, you know, there was huge amounts of criticism. I think people were saying it was a pretty naive approach and highlighting, mm. as you said, you know, the importance Joe Root brings. It looked like there were a few too many big shots there. Um, and Joe Root's someone who would soak up the pressure. He scores quite quickly without taking many risks, really. Mm. Um but then you see what happens today with Stokes coming in and 99 or 52 balls. So that's the kind of the flip side of it. When it comes off, it, it looks pretty spectacular. Um, so, yeah, as, as an England fan, you kind of want to have your cake and eat it, don't you? You, you want that style of cricket and you know, Bairstow and yep. Stokes wacky everywhere. But then, then, when it, then when it doesn't come off, you know, you, you always say you've got to be a bit clever in those situations. So, yeah, <laughs> want a bit of both. That's yeah, true. I think we we did see what Stokes can do at number three. He absolutely obliterated the bowling attack and he took apart Krunal Pandya and Kuldeep Yadav in those two overs where he got 20 and 28 runs in consecutive overs. And But but what happens when Joe Root comes back to this ODI side? Does he slot in number three straight away or does he have to fight for his number three again? I think Joe Root comes straight back in. You look at his record, um, averaging 50 He's the glue in that order with, with all those you know, powerful hitters, your Roy's, your Bairstow's, Stokes, Morgan. You know, Roots, uh, someone who's done that job so well. I think he's a really underrated part of um, England's batting lineup. Mm. Uh, so I, I don't think there's any question of him being moved around or, or being dropped. I'd expect Stokes to go back to go back to number five when Root comes back. Yeah, I think, and moving a bit down in the batting order or you can call it, we, we can call it the bowling order now. What do you make of Tom Curran's place in the side? Is he, is he useful at all to the England side right now? Or do you think he should go back to the um, domestic setup, uh, work on his bowling and then come back? Yeah, I think uh, Tom Curran someone who, you know, sounds harsh to say, but he looks a little bit found out at this level now. Mm. I think he had a really good performance quite early on in his career where he, had a match-winning fiver in Perth in an, in an ODI. Um, and he bowled under real pressure at the end. And he's done that job elsewhere in his career in the 20-over format. He defended quite a small amount in the last uh, last over against South Africa. He really held his nerve at the end with the Yorkers. Uh, but it looks now that he almost tries too many things, too many variations, and he's kind of lost his stock ball. Um, I think he probably does need to go back to Surrey a bit. And, and work on his game. I think England have other options which we can look at. Uh, Saki Mahmood, I think, is someone who's very exciting. He had a strong PSL. Uh, Reese Topley bowled well up front today. So I'd probably like to see those guys get a bit more of a go. Yeah, so that that um, sort of links 
quite nicely to my next question. So you actually made an indirect reference yesterday to a certain middle overs wicket taker who's not considered for selection anymore, Liam Plunkett. Um, so is the other likes of Reese Topley, Sakib Mahmood, you know, potential wicket takers for England in those in those middle overs going forward? Who do you think coming through could provide that wicket taking ability? I think uh, Mark Wood potentially is an option there. He's somebody who's got a lot of pace. You'd yep. think that when Joffre and Wokes are back in England are at full strength in their bowling, those two, you know, like in the World Cup, would take the new ball and then Wood would do that option in the middle. Um, but yeah, I mean, people say, oh, we need to find a new middle-over wicket-taker. But um, I suppose my approach is, and a lot of other England fans are scratching their head thinking, well, we've already got a perfectly good one a World Cup winning bowler who's got a proven record at a really specialist role. I think we saw today the, uh, the danger of not taking wickets in the middle, mm. you know, particularly the team with India's power uh, down the order. You've got the, the Pandya brothers, you've got Vishab Pant, and if you're not taking those wickets in the middle and a team's got a launching pad only two, three, four down, then there could be real damage at that back end. So do you, you don't think Moin Ali is that... Is that bowler who can give you um, those wickets in the middle overs? Yeah, this is quite quite a big debate among England fans today because uh, people yeah. were changing their mind throughout the day about, was it 10 overs for 47 runs? And there's kind of a, I think I tweeted earlier, it was a microcosm of his career in that I think he averages 50 with the ball, but his economy rate is 5.2, which is pretty good by modern ODI standards. He rarely looks threatening, but also rarely goes the distance. Um, I just think having 10 overs in the middle where you've got someone you know, with such a low wicket-taking capabilities, um, somebody who's much more of a defensive bowler, the way, particularly when you play a team like India, um, and who have got the players like Raul, like Kohli, who can milk the spinners, um, you probably want someone more like Plunkett who can take those wickets and get in the hitters earlier. You expose someone like Pant up the order or uh, mm. Pandy brothers, they're not going to be able to play that destructive role they do in the last 15 and now let's talk about the one day uh, last, last, well, today's one day. And let's talk about that mini collapse that England had. And was it, was it really a nervous scare? And is it, has it hap- happened too often? Or do you think come, Joe Root comes back and then this all goes away? Oh, I think it's always nervous watching England, to be honest. <laughs> I, 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 people were saying, oh, you've won this game already. And it's like, oh, until England score the winning run, there's no such... <laughs> There's no such thing as a one game. Um, yeah, I mean, I, these things happen in cricket. You know, you'd, you'd lose wick, wickets in clusters. And you know, in the end, it was see, it saw out to a pretty comfortable six-wicket win. Um, so, yeah, I don't know whether Joe Root would have made much of a difference today. Um, you know, for all his strengths, he wouldn't have played a role Stokes did, 99 or 52, mm. whoever it was. Um, but I think in those sorts of situations, Joe Root is someone who's just a real calming presence to England fans when he's at the crease like your heart rate's a bit lower um, and he's you know just the way he plays minimal risk cricket but for quite high reward uh, almost you know while he's not as good as Coley in the ODI format it's almost like the way Coley plays taking not many risks but keeps quite a high strike rate mm. uh, you know turning over the strike and getting those singles yeah it's 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 funny you mentioned that because uh, those four players Joe Root Kane Williamson, Virat Kohli, and Steve Smith do, do play that minimum risk, high reward cricket, and it's it's the I think it's the USP of their cricket um, 
uh, that they have played for so many years and they have performed really well. I mean, the numbers are yep. there for everyone to see. So, yeah. We, Still very important part of ODI cricket, having that cog in the middle there or at the top just to hold things together and let the others go hard around you. But I think England's style, that risk versus reward style has been key since 2015. Like that's what's really been the pinnacle of England's rise since. So, and I know between 2015 and 2019 World Cups, there were a few bad games that England had there where they collapsed badly. But I think that's been, I think that's really underpinned the rise of England in that time to the best in the world. And Joe Root in the side, I think definitely just balances it out a little bit. And sort of, I agree with Adam that he's still very important going forward. Yeah. And and talking about one day, I think we need to touch on Butler's form as well. Is it is it a worry at all, or do you think he'll come good in the next few matches? Um, I mean, I think Just Butler isn't a concern at all. There are probably bigger worries in the team. Um, I think he's only played five ODI innings since the World Cup final. Uh, mm. It's been a bit of an odd time for ODI cricket, actually. Uh, you know, in the lead up to 2019, that was all the focus, but now it's T20s, and this is only the fourth. Uh, series England have played since the since the Cricket World Cup final. I think he played those three games against Australia last summer where he failed and then two more failures here. But, I mean, once he gets a run and the ODI team will get his mojo mm. back. What do you make of his captaincy? <laughs> I mean, I think he's possibly not been given the best resources to work with in the bowling department. Mm. Um, I think Josh Butler seems like a natural leader in the group. I think he'll probably captain England at the, the next Cricket World Cup, to be honest. Um, but it's kind of hard to judge him because he's only ever filled yeah. in for Owen Morgan when I think Morgan's had a few injuries yeah. or a couple of times he's been suspended for poor overrate. And often the way you, you know captains in modern international cricket, particularly when they come into the team quite early, they don't have that sort of bulk of domestic experience of captaincy. So it's kind of hard to see what, Joss Butler's yeah. style as a captain is because he's still much, it's still very much Owen Morgan's team and Owen Morgan's philosophy and mantra. I think, look, this is a good opportunity for Butler to sort of build his experience as a captain because I, I felt at times yesterday he looked a bit overwhelmed. You could see the look on his face and also the catches he put down behind the stump. So, um, yeah, yeah look, but uh, he, had, he had someone like Tom Curran in his side. He was bound to be overwhelmed by that. I mean... <laughs> Yeah, I agree. But I think as a captain, you have to stay as calm as possible and stay focused. And that's the challenge. But I think this experience will be very good for him. Um, we'll see where it goes. I mean, in terms of England's T20 side, Adam, um, there's been some debate about the number three spot in that team as well. Um, do you think it should be David Millard for the World <laughs> Cup? Yeah, nothing, um, nothing really divides opinion in English cricket like yeah. uh, David Milan. Um, yeah, I mean, you'd say he's had a relatively quiet series. Um, he was good at the beginning. I think he saw England over the line in that first T20 and um, he was got that 50 in the in the last one. But he had pre, uh, three pretty poor games in the middle. And David Milan is always going to divide opinion because he takes quite a few balls to get going. His strike rate in the first 10 or 15 balls is relatively low, but then he can go through the gears. I think like talking about Milan, it's quite important to say that He's been a prolific run scorer for England and he gets it right more often than he gets it wrong. Yeah. Um, but when, when he gets it wrong, his method really doesn't help his teammates. I think it was the, sec- uh, the fourth T20. He got that 14 off 17 balls uh, in the chase of 180. And it's that sort of innings his detractors point to is why someone like uh, Root or Hale should be in the side. 
Um, but I think Morgan really backs his players and he's had a quiet tour by his standards. But if you look at his numbers in international cricket, it's pretty Incredible. inarguable. Yeah. yeah, it's an average of 50 and he's striking in the mid 140s. So, yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot of noise about Milan, but it's definitely um, going to have to have a lot more bad tours before England consider dropping him, to be honest. Do you think it's it's um, reservations against David Milan, or do you think people just want to see Joe Root back into this T20 side? Yeah, I think it's a mixture of both. I mean, there is a good case to be made for Root. Uh, you know, his T20 record is pretty good. I think he's averaging in the mid 30s with a strike rate of around uh, 125, 130. In the last T20 World Cup, which was held in India, as it will be later this year, Root was probably England's best batsman. And if it wasn't for a freak last over of uh, Stokes to Brathwaite, Root would have probably been named as the player of the tournament. Uh, I think with Root, he's someone, as we just touched on in ODIs, who is very good at accumulating strike. He hasn't got Milan's power to his game, but he's someone who isn't going to have the really horrendous innings David Milan can occasionally do because Root doesn't soak up the dot balls. But on the flip side of that, once he gets to 15, 20 balls, he doesn't go through the gears like Milan and become that sort of destructive hitter. So I think well, Joe Root's a good T20 player. I think for now, England will consider their, their better options. And also gives you that um, off-spinning option in the, in the middle overs there. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I think it was that World Cup final, wasn't it, where he opened the bowling and he got, uh, he got two wickets, including Chris Gale. So... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's Joe Root's not, not being in the side is an argument of why Stoke should be there because people have questioned his place as well. Um, but having a batsman in the top six who can bowl two or three overs, uh, if Root's not on the team, that makes Stokes' role doubly important. And why even despite England not really finding a great role for him in the team, why I think his position is pretty secure, whatever happens between now and the start of that World Cup. Are we staying on the T20 side? Bairstow should open, do you think? I quite like Bairstow at four, to be honest. Um, just because of oh, the balance of the side with the right-handers and, uh, right-handers and left-handers. Uh, with Butler and Roy opening, um, uh, you've got two right-handers up there. I wouldn't want to push Bairstow any further up uh, because you've got all those left-handers in the, in the middle order, the likes of Stokes, the likes of Morgan, uh, Curran, Moe Nally if he comes in. So I like having Bairstow as the option there. Bairstow is also a pretty good player of spin as well in those, in those middle overs. I think we've seen Stokes as a limitation in the T20 series against the sort of slower bowlers, the cutters uh, and the spinners. So having Bairstow there as someone who's quite a good manipulator of spin in the middle overs is, I think, a good strategy hmm. for England. I'm sure we'll be in touch closer to the date, but, but those ashes... Later in the year, look, for me, as a traditionalist, I can't wait. I, I don't know if you feel the same. How do you feel about, I know there's quite a bit of cricket to be played before then and England have about a million tests before that, but how do you feel about England's chances this time around in Australia? Do you think you have the resources, particularly in the bowling department, to make more of a challenge down under? Uh, I think England will uh, be definitely better prepared last time. Uh, I would make Australia strong favourites. But I think, you know, you look back to the six, uh, 17-18 tour and, you know, the, the key difference about that, Australia are better across the board. But the thing that really st- stuck out to me was how much, um, like how bigger Arsenal Australia had in the pace bowling department. Mm. And England's batsmen were blown away at times. It wasn't quite 2013-14, but 
the way yeah, Cummins and Stark have extra pace uh, and firepower on those pitches, yeah. uh, I think was one of the deciding factors. And this time England will have more options. They'll, you know, there'll be Joffre, there'll be Wood, uh, Ollie Stone is someone who's really impressed me. Uh, so I think it will be a bit more penetrating on those pitches. I would think Australia would start as very strong favourites. Maybe, I mean, my prediction this far out would be 3-1 Australia. But I think, I think it will be a more competitive Ashes series than last time. Do you think, uh, and I'm, I'm not uh, in any way meaning to brag here, but do you think India has given the solution to other, other nations on, uh, you know, how to beat Australia in their own country? Thanks for the remark. Yeah, I think, it's, <laughs> I think it's exposed uh, yeah, a bit of the weaknesses of the team. But, I mean, I'm out there very reliant on you know, Smith and Labuschagne, but England yep. still have to work hard to dismiss Steve Smith because... You know, the last two or three series, we haven't got a clue, to be honest. So, you know, even, even if all the others struggle and fail, I mean, you, you've still got Steve Smith there, who's been such an obstacle to England over a number of years now. And, and we have been forgotten. We have been forgetting Warner as well. I mean, he's, he is, I believe he is a flat track bully and he will score hundreds of runs in the coming ashes. He's called um, So... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he he always does does it, doesn't he? I mean, he he is a flat track bully. Let's let's all agree on that. Um, there's no hiding from that. We have the numbers in front of us. So, um, yeah, the, apart from uh, Smith and Labuschagne, you do have to worry about Warner in Australia as well. But yeah, interesting chat with um, about the Ashes here. Yeah, look, um, I can't wait. Like, there's a lot of cricket to be played before then, but I think. I'm expecting England to be, as Adam mentioned, a lot better prepared than last time. And I think they've got the right idea now of what they need to do. I think England's batting, I think like ours, the batting's a bit of an issue for both teams. But um, I think England coming in with more pace, more firepower, will hold them in good stead, I reckon, going forward. And we'll get a good idea early on in that series of, of what mindset England are in. Before we okay. let you go, Adam, um, quick prediction because you seem to be like the Paul, oh, like yeah. Paul okay. the Octopus. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> quick prediction about the ODI series. Oh, what for Sunday? Um, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm going, I'm going India. I think I just think in the in those conditions, uh, but yeah, particularly with with England's sort of weakness in the bowling department, I would have. Would have India as slight favourites, but but nothing more than slight favourites. It'll be a cracking game, I reckon. All right, you heard it here first, guys. India's winning, so uh. <laughs> yeah, it should be a good finish to a cracking white ball series. So looking forward to it, Adam. Thank you so much for joining us today on the Quick Blog Podcast. It's been awesome um, having you, and good luck for the third ODI. And hope those Gunners can have a decent finish to the season as well. It's been pretty bad. <laughs> you, you always hope for that oh, yeah. <laughs> terrible uh, cheers guys thanks a lot thanks no worries, man. thanks Adam so an awesome interview there with Adam and a really exciting series and you know those two teams will, will come together again after the IPL in England and should be a fascinating test series and limited over stuff as well there so looking forward to see what happens but, but from, from now, um, Nash, like, I know it's a long way away, but you're confident about India across formats over in England as well? Um, I know it's, we're, not, we're not too close to that at the moment, um, but, but what are you expecting there? I think, 
I think it will be a it will be a tough series. Definitely, it it won't be any easy. Um, given that England are England in their in their yeah. own conditions, so you know the ball will swing. You know the ball will seem off the pitch uh, somewhat. So um, it's going to be difficult. Yes, uh, but given how this side has gone over the last, I would say, twelve months, um, how this side has come back um, from you know. L- from losses from Adelaide, um, from the first test in India against England. So I think I, I do fancy, I, I'm, I'm going to, if I have to predict, I, I would say that it's a 2-1 for India. Um, I may get slotted on on social media by England fans, but I think I'm, I'm going for it. I'm going for it this time because that's that's what this team has done to the Indian fans, isn't it? I mean, the way they have mm. performed in Test and the way the way they have performed in white ball, yep. white ball cricket as well. So I think this team would create a dynasty going forward. The dynasty it's got that the potential we saw, to do it. yeah, definitely the dynasty we saw with West Indies in the 70s and 80s, 80s. The dynasty we saw with Australia in the late 90s and 2000s. We haven't had a dynasty after, you know, ever since. So this is the perfect time. This is the perfect stage and this is the perfect team to do it. So um, it's just a matter of time, I think. So you've got to win that series in England, I think, so to really be um, included in that conversation. Definitely. But I know from my fellow Australian fans, um, we'd be stupid to write off India given what happened in our summer here. After Adelaide in particular, I thought Australia had a massive psychological advantage there. But I didn't write India off, but I thought they're going to be – well, look, I thought deep down it would be very, very hard for them to do it. But yeah. also deep down, I didn't think I can write this side off. They've still got enough quality in it. Um, the Melbourne performance was outstanding, and then finishing off like that was brilliant. So you, you, can't, write, you can't write India off. But I think yeah. they're a, to, a wonderful to be honest, anyway. To be honest – yeah, to be honest, Abel, I mean, I did – as an Indian fan, you after after a few years you learn. I, I did write them off. Uh, let's be honest. I after after the first test after Adelaide, I just I said, okay, this is just going to be another one of those series. And yeah, I'm happy I was proven wrong. Um, let let I I actually I did cry after the Gabba test. Oh, did you? Um, I, I did. To yeah. be honest, I really did. Uh, because we have. I was in tears, but for the opposite reason. <laughs> <laughs> I've I've grown up through the '90s. I've grown up through the you know early 2000s, and I've seen the Indian side losing Test matches, losing matches where they should have won easily. I mean, for so many years, I've I've had I've had to sit through that, and for this to happen right now, and I can enjoy it on my you know to the, to my you know I, I can enjoy it as much as I want. So. I was really happy for that, and um, yeah. So sorry, I'll, I'll keep I'll keep talking if 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 you do, if you don't stop. For, me, so. for so many years, I watched Australia winning tests from impossible positions. Yeah. Now I'm seeing Australia lose tests to a side that had a combined uh, bowling test experience of what five tests or whatever it was, thirteen wickets, whatever it was. So yeah. yeah, it was incredible. Like you know, you see both stories, like the Indian fans growing up, you know, their perspective of Australia, and then Australian fans, their perspective of things too. So. Yeah. Look, for me, yeah, I cannot write India off. I'll give them a, a major chance in England. And I'm looking forward to that series over there when it comes around. So, um, yeah, so we'll, I'm sure we'll discuss that. Definitely, and we'll have some cracking discussions around. on the podcast. Yeah. So, guys, there's been other international cricket going on as well. Um, 
New Zealand, Bangladesh. Um, not much to say there other than it's been an absolute spanking. Um, it's been a walk in the park uh, training run for New Zealand in these in these ODIs and T20s. Tammy McBale after the ODI series said Bangladesh are going nowhere at the moment. I agree with him. But one player I do want to touch on from New Zealand has been very impressive this season has been Devin Conway. I think tougher tests will await him than, than what he's experiencing right at this moment. But what he did against Australia and what he's doing now, his consistency and his ability to score quickly when playing um, really tr- tr- traditional orthodox cricket shots, it's beautiful to watch. He sort of reminds me of Dawid Milan from England. He can score quickly, but you re- you don't even realise that he's scoring quickly. He does it in such a an orthodox manner. I'm really impressed with him. What do you make of him, Nash? Yeah, de- I mean, definitely the way he has been going in international cricket for a while now, and yeah. um, the he, the talent and the class is really uh, you know is there for everyone to see. So I wouldn't be even surprised if one of the IPL teams um, get him as I was an making that replacement. point. I was um, making that point. Yeah, like I was saying, I tweeted out and I said, it's great that the IPL franchises look at the BBL, but it'd be great for them to look at other franchises, uh, sorry, other leagues as well, like the Super Smash, because Conway was brilliant there. And what's really impressive about him is that you notice how many times he gets a boundary off the first ball of the over. So it just sets up the over, takes pressure off his partner. He's done that about eight or nine times this season. I mean, that's that's how you want your... Yeah, that's how you want your number four, number five, you know, yeah. number three, number four, number five batsman to play. Get the boundary of the first two balls and just play singles and doubles of the next four. Yeah, uh, that that gives you seven, eight runs and and over, and then you can accelerate at the at the end. So it's it's it, it's it's um it's easy at the moment, as you said, for someone like Devin Conway who you know, who has been in his comfort zone throughout the summer. But once he gets out of it, it will be really interesting to see how he goes. And yep. uh, to be fair, he, he, he might even um, end up being a prolific run scorer for New Zealand. And yeah. uh, I would be, I would be really happy to see that, see that. And I mean, he averages 65 in T20s right now. So um, with, with the highest, of 99 not out so i still remember that innings uh, yes. from a couple of, of yeah a few weeks ago Thanks so yeah uh, one thing that i will uh, why i will back him if he goes into the subcontinent he, for a couple of reasons he places the ball very very well he rotates strike well but he's also very good on the sweep both orthodox yeah. sweep and reverse and if you've got those um those attributes about you i think he'd be all right in india um, i'm looking forward to seeing him play more for new zealand i think he's a very talented player um, and it's good that New Zealand continue to produce really good talent. Um, no more Ross yeah, Taylor definitely. on the T20 side. And they can just bring in someone like Conway, even someone like uh, Will Young. You know, yeah. There's some good days ahead for New Zealand uh, yet. I, I, I do remember saying on our, um, on our first episode to watch out for Will Young. And I think yes. he will definitely, he, again, he scored a 50 um, in, the, in the recently concluded uh, T20. So... Uh, yeah, he, he's definitely the one to watch for the future as well. Absolutely. Um, we've also seen a test match between West Indies and Sri Lanka. So there's one starting um, Monday night, Australia time uh, for the second test. But the first test, well, it started with plenty of wickets, but then it sort of petered out into the batsman dominating. But I do want to make a special mention to Nikrit Abona from, um, from the West Indies. Uh, he played brilliantly in the fifth day of that amazing chase in Bangladesh and then scored his maiden 100 against Sri Lanka to help the Windies save the test. I really like to see the Windies produce some good batsmen and, and fingers crossed 
Bonner can have a, a good solid test career because it'd be good to see the Windies a more competitive in test cricket. Yeah, definitely. I mean, coming back to the um, coming back to West Indies and Sri Lanka test match, I think um, the second test match will be a really good one because mm. it's the decider and um, yeah. it's all all level at the moment. But in the first test match, I think, as you said, Bonner really played a brilliant innings in the second um, in the second innings where, where when they were when they were chasing and did not look like they were going to win. So, mm. um, and again, he was really supported by Kyle Myers as well, who was the double centurion in Bangladesh. So it's a, it's a really good side that Craig uh, Braithwaite has at the moment. And it's, it's only a matter of time that they'll be again back on, back on top in the top, you know, five or top five so. teams in, in test matches. So I, I really hope so that that happens yet. Yeah. yeah. Because it so would be again, yeah. really good to, you know, see those, um, difficult tours to the West Indies, which we were unfortunate. we never witnessed it live. So, uh, you know, yeah. I, I would love to see that. Yeah. To do that, they, need, they need their batting to sort of be a lot more reliable and solid. So hopefully that's the case. They'll, they'll wanna, I think they'll want to win this series against Sri Lanka at home. I mean, Sri Lanka haven't been magnificent at all over the last few years. So a series at home against Sri Lanka is one the Windies would want to win. So I was on that second test. It, it, it's sure to be an interesting one. Um, now, Nash, I want to talk about a team that dominates, um, and I'm very happy to say that it's an Australian team, um, and I feel very, very safe watching this team play. It reminds me a lot of the dominant Australia men's team of the early 2000s. It's our Australian women's team. Another win for them yesterday in the opening T20 against New Zealand, and it was a tough game. It was a game where we had a poor start. It reminded me of our T20 World Cup campaign last year where we had some difficult moments, but just the sheer depth of this team, man. You've got players all over the park. Yesterday was Ashley Gardner who stepped up, but you've got players right down the order that can that can get you from anywhere. Um, what do you make of this Australian side? I mean, Ellis Perry is coming to bat at number six. I mean, that should tell it? you can you believe everything. It? Yeah. That that should tell you everything about the about the side. I mean, you have some of the names in the side that played the first first T20 were, you know, Alisa Healy, Beth Mooney, Meg Lanning, Rachel Haynes, Ashley Gardner. How do you get past that batting mm. side? How, how do you get them out? I mean, one after the other. And yep. you're right. It does remind you of the, of the great Australian side of the early, late 90s and early 2000s. So mm. it's, and as you said, this women's side has created, its own dynasty over the, over the last few years. And I think it will continue to do so over the next few years. So uh, yeah, I mean, Australia, Australian women's side winning is not much of a news anymore because excuse me, mate, it always, it's always news. It's like as an (laughs) Australian, as an Australian fan, we've got to, we still got to appreciate it. We still got to, no, no, definitely. definitely. I'm 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 not, I'm not, I'm not, who knows how long this will last for. We knew we found this out with our men's team. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) definitely. I'm I'm in no way suggesting that it's not, it's not a happy moment. I'm just saying that it's when they win, it's, uh, I know what you mean. Yes, it is exciting. I just like talking about it, but it's not like, it's not a surprise. Yeah, I know what you mean. I just like talking about it. I'm looking forward to the rest of this series. Um, and then the ODIs to follow. And even in the ODIs to come, um, we've got the record of beating, beating a Ricky Ponning's team's record of uh, most consecutive yeah. ODI wins, which is, I think, a 23, if I'm not mistaken, or 21, one of yes. them. 
something like that. So this women's side continues to go from strength to strength. They're not relying on one or two plays. There's a, there's a whole range of plays that can step up when needed. And that's the brilliant thing about it. Um, and I'm looking forward to continuing to see them do well. Fingers crossed going forward as well. Now, Nash, um, we also had other women's cricket in India. Um, South Africa were very successful against uh, your Indian team um, in the ODIs and T20s. Yep. We spoke to a very special guest, uh, Fatima, uh, from of the Pop Increase South Africa, uh, and she spoke to us about um, South African cricket and how well the women went there, as well as uh, how she thinks the men's team will go against Pakistan in the next uh, week or so. So we're very fortunate here on the Clickbox podcast to have some wonderful guests so far. And our latest is a very special guest, a very passionate South African fan who is always fantastic uh, on Twitter. Uh, it's Fatima from Pop Increase South Africa. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. What a lovely introduction. <laughs> oh, well, Welcome to the podcast, Fatima. Thank you very much, Nash. How, how are you both doing? Yeah, pretty good. Um, we've got some nice weather here in Sydney after like a week of absolutely terrible rain and uh, parts of New South Wales is actually recovering from floods right now. So, oh, goodness gracious. so Sydney has Sydney has sent all the ra- rain into Darwin. It's just started thunderstorms <laughs> here. So fair way away. But it's very cloudy in Cape Town this morning as well. So, you know, winter's coming. Yes, it is. Yeah. Um, yep. Getting ready for that. All right. So, um, Fatima, how we like to start with our guest on the podcast is to find out their story with the, with the sport. Um, so tell me how Fatima as a kid connected with the sport, connected with cricket and where did the love for love for the sport began? Right. Well, uh, I, so I grew up in London and in an Asian household. So cricket was always a very big part of my childhood. Uh, I had lots of fun playing with my siblings around the house with the cricket on in the background. And we had so many games in the garden playing cricket. And uh, I loved to, one of my favorite things to do was to slide around on the grass and get grass stains all over my clothes, much to my mum's dismay because she had to then wash them. But uh, it was, I had so much fun playing cricket, even though I am a bit afraid of a cricket ball because I've had some bad experiences. Mm. But I, I, it just grew from then. And the 1992 World Cup final, which funnily enough, the anniversary of Pakistan's win was yesterday. <clears throat> um, that was the first game I watched, like in total. So my love for cricket just grew over, over the years more and more. The more I watched, the more I understood, the more I learned. And, you know, I remember as a kid, I would watch a game and the commentators would say, you know, the bowler's going to do this now. And I asked my brother, um, but how do they know that? So my brother said, because they know the game. And I, as a kid, couldn't understand that. But now, you know, after watching for so many years, I have that same, you know, I, I, I learn tactics, I learn strategy. So that's, I, I'm, I'm really glad that I'm at that stage now, you know, when, you know, if, um, just talk about if South Africa are playing, for instance, and let's say, you know, Steve Smith and Labuskakni is, they're in a really big partnership and, and a wicket happens to go late on, on the day's play. I know that whoever the captain, Elgar or Fafit, if it was, they'd want to bring KG on to try and get another wicket before close of play. Yep. So, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, you learn things as you go. But funnily enough, I struggled with the LBW law 
until 2003 when Graham Smith had that epic series against England. Mm -hmm. And they showed, because he's a lefty, that made it easier for me to understand for some reason. And they showed the LBW law so often during that summer that then it's like, okay, has to not pitch outside leg, has to not hit outside off stump. So that now I understand, like based on watching Biff play for so long. So thanks, Biff. <laughs> Good luck explaining the LBW rule to people who don't really know cricket. I, I <laughs> try to tell them it's got a pitch here. Uh, it's, it can't pitch outside uh, here. And they don't get it. They don't know yeah. what leg stump is. <laughs> they don't know what off stump is. <laughs> Yeah, add, add the DRS to that. Yes. Oh, God, that's a whole different <laughs> kettle of fish. Add umpire's call. Like there was something yes. in New Zealand, Bangladesh today, where they went up for court behind and then the umpire said out. So, and then the Bangladesh player reviewed it. He was, he was actually not out court behind. Yeah. So then they reviewed yeah. the LBW as well and they said it was umpire's call. And the commentators are like, so what's the umpire's call in that instance? He didn't even give yeah. it out LBW. No, wait, so, was that given out then? So it was given out caught behind, but then on the review, they actually looked back and um, checked the but, LBW but as well. Was he then eventually given out LBW? No, but they did check the LBW okay. to see if right, it was okay. out, but it was actually going over the top. But the impact right, was umpire's okay. call. So it was all confusing, but... Yeah. That's very confusing. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. But hey, it's cricket. We all love it. So cricket's um, not a simple yeah. game. That's why we love it. It's yeah. not. It's not for the faint-hearted either. <laughs> no. Uh, yeah. So Fatima, we'll touch on um, South Africa women's magnificent tour of of India. Um, it, it was such a superb tour, wasn't it? So, what impressed you the most about their cricket? It was a it was a fantastic tour. I mean, if we consider, as many do, India is one of, if not the toughest place for a touring team to go. The fact that they won both the ODI and T20 series as they did was a phenomenal achievement. And I think what impressed me most was that they did this without their captain, Dane Van Nierkirk, who is getting over injury. And they showed with her absence that they have, you know, they, 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 that didn't hamper their performances. They have good depth. And that's what I think impressed me most. But what was nice about their performances was, yes, their core players like Lizelle Lee and Shabnam Ismail were incredible and consistent. They didn't just rely on them. Yeah. Players like Lara Goodall and Bosch, they pitched up, they put in really good match-winning performances, and they showed it was a good team effort. Absolutely agree. Yeah, you, you thought, like, from what I saw in each game, there were some, some fantastic contributors. So that was a really good win that can sort of propel South Africa to that next level, given that confidence going forward. Um, yeah, definitely. Yes. Um, sorry, uh, if, sorry, I just want to say that if they continue to uh, show these improvements, they have a real shot at winning the World Cup next year. And I think they could honestly, genuinely, I think they could be the first South African team to win a World Cup. Yeah, so that, that, that was going to be my uh, next question. So how far do you think this South African team can go in the next few years? So where do you think they will go in the next, let's say, five years' time? Well, hopefully, like I say, I mean, they've got a good group of players. They've, they've been with each other for so long now. They understand each other. They've got a really good coach who, you know, instills good values and good team ethic in them. I mean, like a year ago, they were struggling against spin. Their fielding was maybe a bit under par, but they've improved so much in just a year. And given the fact that that year was COVID, they've shown great resilience and they've just worked really hard. So like I say, if they continue on this trend, they can be real 
competitors in the World Cup, and I do honestly believe they could actually win it. You heard it here first, guys. South Africa to win the next Women's World Cup in New Zealand. What a story that would be, eh? Because, um, you know, the men's national team has had some wonderful, wonderful teams in the past have just fallen short, but it'd be an amazing story if the women's team can be the first to do it. Um, that, that would be quite something. Yeah. So now to the men's team. Um, limited over series. Pakistan starting very soon. Uh, what are you hoping to see uh, from the side? Yeah, so um, it's going to be, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing a good few youngsters get a good proper chance in South Africa's playing 11. Um, their record in T20s isn't great. Uh, they need to get a bit more consistency and start winning T20 series because the last time they won a T20 series was March 2019. And with the T20 World Cup just a few months away, they need to get their act together if they want to compete. Yeah, absolutely. So, so what do you think? Um, do you think the team combination for this upcoming series is a good one? Or what do you think, think South needs to do to improve? For the T20 squad, yeah, I'm quite happy with the with the team selection. Um, I I really hope that you know they do give youngsters a chance because th- these youngsters like you know Carl Verena, Ryan Rickleton, Yanaman Milan, these these are just a few players that can play in the limited oversight in particular. They're exciting, they're young, they have a lot to offer, and they've been performing for their respective franchises. So they need to be given a fair chance in the national team. And I think this is a good way, like with the World Cup coming up, to give them some match experience, give them some game time and see what they have to offer. Yeah, great thoughts. And now coming to the leadership of the team, um, what kind of impact do you think Bavuma will have as a captain? And Quinton de Kock, what kind of um, form he will go into, you know, being a non, you know, being just a regular playing member of the side? Well, I think giving Quinton the captaincy was honestly a wrong call. Mm. And I'm so glad they've seen the error of their ways. So I think now that he doesn't have the burden of captaincy, which I think it, you know, it really was a burden on him. We saw how it affected his game. We'll see him like he was before he got the captaincy in his good destructive self. Um, I was also honestly very surprised how quickly people turned on him when he hit that bit of a slump in Pakistan. They had forgotten everything he had done for South Africa in the test team. No, he's, he's out of form. He must go. People uh, have very short memories and that really we see annoyed it everywhere. me. Yep. And I'm with Virat Kohli as well. I mean, yeah, I was about to say, yeah. yeah. It's so very frustrating. He was, Quinton for a long time was the only player in the test team that was in form. Let him just figure out his game. He's allowed to have a slump. Everybody goes through it. Yeah, absolutely. I remember you providing me with support on Twitter, Fatima, um, when (laughs) I was calling someone out about, you know, questioning Virat Kohli's place in the team. And that was ridiculous. And then he goes to score three half centuries in the next four games and and then another another half century in the first ODI. So absolutely. You can't keep a good player down. Recency bias. Even the great Brian Lara and Jack Callis went through slumps. Everyone. Everybody's done it. Everybody's gone through a slump. Um, And on Bavuma's captaincy, what what do you expect from him? I'm really excited for his captaincy. I am a big Bavuma fan, and I think he gets a lot of unfair criticism at times. Um, but I think he's done really well for his franchise, the Lions. They've, I mean, they've won so many trophies under him. They work well under him. He, 
he he's a fighter and lots of people like think how is he a fighter he doesn't have any hundreds or you know he has 100 but it's with him you can't just look at the stats you have to look at how he plays and when you watch him play he is such a fighter he never gives up no matter what's happening at the other end he's the one putting his back down and making sure he doesn't get out so i'm really excited for him for him for his captaincy and i really hope for his sake he does really well and the team does really well under him with a series win in this upcoming series yeah, and, absolutely and yeah, yeah yeah you're you're so true there because as as a captain you also have to see it whether they are fighter not only on the field but in in their life as well and what mm-hmm. bavuma has gone through to be there you know to play for south africa to to be where he is today i think it has been really magnificent his whole life exactly. story his whole cricketing story so i think he's he's the fighter that south africa needs right now 100% agree with that yeah and it's the players around him who respond to that too that's so important as a leader um it's it's not just your performances on the field but it's it's how you get people on board with you. I think that's very important as a leader as exactly. well. Exactly. And, that, and that's something with Graham Smith that we got with Graham Smith, that they, they fought so well for him because he fought for them. And I 100%. think that's what you'll get with Bruma. Absolutely. And you, you have to remember that when Smith took over the captaincy, he was what, 23? Yeah, 22, I think. And some people are just born for that. And I mean, it just brings the best out of them. And that's what happened with Smith. And I hope it happens with Bavuma as well. I mean, he's he's already at his best, but even just imagine what he can do with the captaincy. And he I'm hoping he loves the captaincy and then, you know, goes on to do great things for South Africa. Definitely. I agree with that. And I'm hoping the same thing happens with Aidan Markram because I've got a massive soft spot for him as a, as a mm-hmm. batsman. And, you know, I think he'll be a captain one day, given his experience. One the- day. I'm glad you said that because that's the key. I think it would have been a mistake to give him the captaincy Agree. now. Agree. He needs time to cement his place. He's, he had a good series in Pakistan. Great. Let him have a few more 100%. and then he can become captain. hundred percent. Right. Yep. So again, you heard it here first, Markram for captain in two years time. <laughs> all the, I'll, all the I'll, I'll take 18 the months. Yeah. Yep. All right. No, yeah, yeah. That uh, that is actually a fair timeline for Markram to be a captain. Look, if he can nail his time. position down in the in the team, and we That's all know key. how that, we all know his yeah, ability exactly. and talent, and he's got the leadership credentials as well, then it's a yep. perfect yep. fit. Exactly. So on that as well, you know, given the predictions we've been making in this uh, in this podcast so far, um, up and coming South Africa players to watch out for in the coming years. I mean, we we. I was seeing that there were some fantastic performances in the first class competition in recent times. Who can we keep an eye out for for South Africa going forward? Uh, there's, there's, there are a few. I mean, um, Edward Moore, Keegan Peterson, uh, Van Tonda, Yanaman Milan needs to get into the test team. I think Ryan, um, Carl Verena needs to get into the test team that they have such a good crop of young players coming. And that's why I think it, it was a good time for Faf to retire because now mm-hmm. it opens up a space for a youngster to come in. So those players, I'm really looking forward. I was, I was so hoping to see Keegan Peterson uh, last, uh, it was when England came. See, my years are getting mixed up now. Whenever England came, 2019, beginning of 2020. Yeah, COVID, England were there in 2020. They yeah. were there. Yeah, in so I was, yeah. I was hoping to see Keegan Peterson then, but yeah. that didn't happen. And I also think Zubair Hamza, he 
they seem to have just and discarded him which I think is wrong because he's shown he has what it takes he's got the technique he has the hunger he just had a few not so great performances he hit a bit he also hit a bit of a slump for domestic cricket but he also came back into form in the in the domestic tournament recently and he only played five tests that is not enough of an opportunity Mm. so I think he needs to be given Mm. more chances yep so true yep and are you excited to watch Keegan Peterson in the finals for Dolphins? I hope the rain goes away. Gee, um, that's the thing. It's Durban. There's a lot of rain yeah. in Durban. So who knows if we're going to see any play? <laughs> yeah, but quickly, um, if we have to have, a, you know, if the game goes ahead, what's your prediction for Dolphins it's, and Titans? It's uh, very interesting, but I would, I would like to think Dolphins would win it. If there was, okay. if, if, if we didn't have rain interruptions, I think the Dolphins would maybe edge them. Yep. That's, that's good to hear. So uh, hoping for a Keegan-Peterson 100 then. There we go. Yes. Yep. Perfect. So good. Brilliant. So Fatima, that is absolutely brilliant from you. Thank you so much for your insights here on the Crit Blog Podcast. It was an absolute pleasure to have you on. Um, yeah. And thank you so much for your time and, and looking forward to continuing interacting with you on Twitter. It's awesome. Thank you so much, Fatima. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you to Fatima there for her wonderful insights. Um, So, Nash, it's time for Ask Crick Blog, our final segment of the podcast. Um, And we've got some good questions in this week. We'll go through them. Um, The first one has been quite a topical one. It it revolves around the the England number three spot, and that's in T20 cricket, and that's a much debated one. Uh, So um, the first one from uh, at ECSB, I think that I think that's the Twitter handle E double S E S B double E. I'm not sure how to pronounce that, but do England really not need root in the upcoming T20 World Cup in India? Because for me, you can keep the batting intact plus score more freely as compared to Dawid in Indian conditions. Joe Root's done well for England in the past in T20s, and he's he was actually one of the top performers in the T20 World Cup 2016 in India, but I find it really hard to see how Joe Root gets back into this side now when you consider David Milan's there and there's the, there's talk of um, pushing Ben Stokes up the order as well. I mean, it, it's it's been a topic for, mm. you know, to to speak over, over, a, over a few beers uh, at night. You, you can't get it in, in, in half an hour. So um, how do you drop a person? How do you drop a batsman who has an average of 50 plus in T20 internationals? I mean, if someone can answer me that, then I'll accept that Joe Root can come back into this side. As much as I love Joe Root as a batsman, I just don't see how can England drop someone like David Milan I, I absolutely accept um, the point from the question that the Joe Root can keep the batting intact. He He's that kind of a batsman who can mm. keep the scoreboard ticking and also not take any risk. But who do you drop? It's just, you, you can't, you can't drop anyone. I mean, at the top, you got Jason Roy. Well, you can make the argument that Jason Roy could be, could get the ax probably. Um, soon if he doesn't perform but again he has 240 plus scores at, at the top he does give you that um, quick scoring option in the first six so again 
with with him, Josh Butler, he has, as we know, performed really well in India. And at three, David Milan, who has an average of 50 plus, who has had a brilliant last two years in T20 International. So how do you drop him? You can't. And Joe, Joe Root will find it difficult um, to get back into this T20 side um, if there's no injuries. And I think I've got the feeling that if England do drop Milan, which would be extremely harsh, I don't know if they'll put Joe Root in there. I think they'll put Ben Stokes up to three. I just I, again, like maybe um, Sam I, 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 I'll try. I, I'll call you out on that. I just don't think England will drop David Milan. I don't, I don't think so. Look, not anytime soon. Nothing surprises me anymore. But I, look, <laughs> I, I, I certainly wouldn't drop Milan. I said it. I think I mentioned it last week on the podcast as well. I don't think he deserves to be dropped at all. He's got a brilliant record and he's a good batsman. And it's, it's, as I said last week, it's not a bad thing at all to have a batsman like that in your lineup. Yeah. So, interesting one to keep an all eye right. out for. Moving on. Um, next question comes from Abhay Yadav at you know AB Live U. Can we see R. Ashwin in white ball jersey again? All right. This Good question. What do you, of, what do you yeah, think? Really? Great question. This has been a topic of discussion for the last, well, since Chahal and Kuldeep Yadav have dropped dramatically in their white ball performance. So yes, it's interesting. I, I, I love I, I love Ashwin. I mean, he's a great tactician in 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 any cricket that he plays. Not only white ball or red ball, but he can. I, I do see him coming back at some stage um, in the next twelve months or so, and. Um, he he has already um, given a statement where he did say that if given an opportunity in one day cricket again, in white ball cricket again, he will show that performance again. So uh, he looked determined, he, he sounds determined and he has IPL to show again. So he has, um, he plays for Delhi Capitals who I, I would think that he might be the captain again for that for that franchise. So um, yeah, he has a good chance uh, to bowl four overs in every game. He always does, and he, as we know, he is a prolific um, wicket-taking option for any team he plays for. So yeah, to to if if I go a short answer, I would say I would I would say yes, he can come back. Yep. Um, if India don't want to pick him in white ball cricket, R. Ashwin, if you ever see this you're more than welcome to apply for an Australian citizenship. We'll take you on board. We'd love to have you, mate. So, um, look, if India don't want to give him a go in white ball cricket, uh, fine by us. You can come over. I, 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 would, um, I would pick him in white ball cricket. You know why? He's got the brains. He's a smart bowler. He's got the variations. And he can really find you those key wickets in those middle overs. Um, his bowling has got even better in test cricket of late because – he was so good in Australia where he hasn't been that good in the past uh, in test cricket. And I'm yes. sure he's, he's that kind of bowler who can transfer that over to white ball cricket as well. And you made a good point, given that India's bowlers, um, you know, the spinners were struggling a bit in that series. He's a wonderful option to bring in. Um, but yeah, I think, yeah, you've got that asset there. Take advantage of it. And I think, uh, sorry, I'm uh, just to elaborate on one more thing. I think in white ball cricket over the past few years, teams have adopted this mentality of um, giving wrist spinners the chance. Yeah. Um, for that wicket taking ability. For that yes, wicket taking. Def- definitely, definitely. But when they don't, when that option doesn't work, they, I don't think they look back on finger spinning options again. They just go 
look at other wrist spinners. So that has, I can't seem, I can't remember any other finger spinner in any other white ball team at the moment, apart from Moin Ali for England, who is, who is to be honest, a part-time spinner. Um, Lots of wrist spinners, you're right. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, again, England, we're calling for Matt Parkinson to play, um, who is a leggy in India and not given, an, not, he, he, has, he was not given any games. But yeah, people want to see more wrist spinners, but people also have to keep in mind that when that doesn't work, wrist spin, uh, sorry, finger spinners are your best bet to keep, keep the runs in check. And also then the other ballers can, from the other end, take the wickets. Especially if the finger spinner has some really good tricks in his armory. He's got the one that goes straight on. He's got the one that yep. turns. He's got the one that dips beautifully. He's got all these beautiful tricks and, um, and stuff. So I think India really have to consider bringing Ashwin back into their white ball plants. I think they'll be, they'll be right to do so. All right. So the final question that we'll go through today for Ask Quick Blog is from Debashish Sarangi at Plum underscore in front on Twitter. Um, and he says the Punjab Kings are going to play their first three games in Mumbai where the wicket provides something to the fast bowlers. Should they start with both the Aussie quicks, Jai Richardson and Riley Berendiff? If not, then who could be the better choice for them? Um, this is a really good question. Um, we're discussing a team here in the IPL, um, significant underachievers, and they need a good start to the tournament because they were terrible in the first half of the season last year and it cost them. Tough question. I was having a quick look at their squad and what their 11 could be and who their overseas players could be. I was looking at Gail, Puran. I think Fabian Allen gives gives Punjab yes. very good depth. I think you need to have him in that side because I really worry about their number six, number seven slot. And if you have Allen there, he can be like a floater, if you know what I mean. Yeah. So yep. it only leaves yep. one spot, I think, for Joe Richardson or Riley Meredith. And given they spent an arm and a leg for Joe Richardson... Uh, well, you probably got to give a, him first go. From a fast bowling point of view as well, I mean, you already have slot, slot in Mohamed Shami there. Um, mm. And from a, from a f- uh, foreign player point of view, you do have Chris Jordan as an option as well, who can give you that the batting option in the in the in at, at the lower yeah. middle order. So, and he's a fabulous fielder. He's probably but probably the thing the best is, fielder. I don't I don't see Kings leaving Jai out for the early part of the season when they invested so much in him, it wouldn't make sense. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if, if you think about that from a, from a cost point of view, definitely Jai Richardson plays every game. Um, At least for the first part of the season, you you play with him because look, if you don't play him, really what's that going to do to his confidence? And then all of a sudden his confidence is down and then you try to bring him back later in the season and you might not get value out of him. Yep, definitely. So, uh, let me ask you: Who would your four uh, foreign players be for Kings uh, for Punjab Kings for the yeah. first game? Yeah, I'd, I'd have Gail at three, um, Nicholas Pura in there as well. I have Fabian Allen, and I would have Jai Richardson. Yeah. The, look, the stats: Jai Richardson and Riley Meredith. I was looking at them earlier; quite similar. I think Meredith is a touch more expensive from memory, um, but similar strike rates and similar wickets per match ratio. Um, and they're both uh, quick. So I just think there's, there's room for one, given that, um, you know, Kings 11, or sorry, uh, Punjab Kings now don't quite have the, the depth in the middle order. And that's where like someone like Fabian Allen can come in and, and be like a floater and provide some important hitting and all-round ability. 
So I think for team balance, you pick one. And I think um, given what Joe Richardson produced in the BBL, he bowled okay for Australia and New Zealand. He's got a chance to, I think he'll get first opportunity to, to perform this season. All right. Um, I think that's it from today's episode. Um, Shabel, do you have anything else to say to our listeners today? Yeah, of course. Um, just follow us at Creek Blog Pod on Twitter yep. and on Instagram as well. We've just set up uh, an Instagram account there. So be sure to follow us there for content during the week. Also follow our personal accounts, um, Nash at Nash V Sant on Twitter and myself at Crick underscore blog on Twitter as well. Um, so looking forward to interacting with you guys during the week. And also from next week, we are starting to discuss IPL teams in depth. So yes. um, listen out for that as well. Looking forward to it. Perfect. Thank you. And a special thank you to our guests as well today. Um, the Pop Increase essay and Adam Sutherland. Um, it was really great listening to their cricketing stories and uh, discussing cricket with them about the international uh, matches that happened a few, in the last few weeks. And uh, yeah, really looking forward to having them again. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So thanks everyone so much for, for listening today and we'll catch you guys soon. Take care.